Uh, find Psalm 23 in your Bible. We're going to continue uh, walking through this morning. Uh, Psalm 23. We're going to be in verse 3 today, and we're going to actually go through an entire verse in one Sunday. So calm down. Don't get in too big of a hurry. Uh, but we are going to look at verse 3 this morning. I hope as we're continuing to, to meditate and soak in uh, this one of the richest of the Psalms, that, that we remember that we're, that we're reading this and studying this as a song, as an expression of worship. And so it's, it's an expression of David's uh, emotions, his feelings, his uh, based on his experience both as a shepherd and as a follower of God, he is expressing his worship um, in his song. And, and worship sometimes can be a release, can it? Especially when things are hard and stressful. Um, I, I often try to follow the advice that I sometimes give folks that when life is difficult, when life is hard, worship. Don't, don't just worship when things are great. Don't just worship when you're on the mountaintop. But worship when things are hard. Worship when things are difficult. Listen to music that prompts you to worship. Go to his word. Let his word prompt you to worship. And he lifts us up. So we've been talking about Psalm 23. Over the past four weeks, I want to quickly review just where we've come so far. We said first uh, that David penned this psalm from the perspective of a sheep. We would expect him to write it from the perspective of a shepherd, being that that is what he was, but he writes it from the perspective of a sheep. And verse 1 sets the theme for the entire psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Everything else that we are talking about from verse 1 is an explanation or an expansion of that expression of David's heart that I shall not want. And we said that Jesus provides rest for us. When David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, it means that staying close to Jesus allows us to rest from the pursuit of what we need because he provides what we need for us. And no matter how dry or how lush the season is in our life, we can rest because we are close to him. It's not because of the grass, if the grass is plentiful if the grass is sparse it doesn't matter because our rest comes from the shepherd and then we said that Jesus also provides satisfaction for the things that we need the most David says he leads me beside still waters that means that he quenches what our souls are most thirsty for and when we don't know why we're thirsty and we don't know what we're thirsty for we find that in following after Jesus, we discover that he is what we're thirsty for. Not, not circumstances, not things, but a person. That he fulfills us. He is that living water. And so today we're going to continue, uh, we're going to look in verse 3. So if you'll look with me there, Psalm 23, verse 3, from the New King James Version says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, um, from time to time, I know I, I share illustrations uh, about home, and I talk about Kim, and I warned Kim I was going to talk about her today, but 
but in a good way. Uh, I have a very talented um, wife. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for her. And one of the many things that I love about her is that she's super crafty. Uh, She enjoys uh, taking old things that she will find and repurpose them and make them into something that's useful. And I know there are lots of ladies, I can, I can name a list of other ladies that I know who do the same thing, uh, especially here in our church. And, and it often blows my mind what, what she's able to do with what looks to be junk. A uh, little bit of paint, a little bit of fabric. She can take these random things and put them together and make something that's really beautiful and really useful. Um, and one of the things that she'll do from time to time, and I know others of you who do this too, you find old furniture, right? Well, she loves going to these antique stores and these, uh, basically what looks like a, a junkyard full of stuff that nobody wants anymore. And she'll find a piece of furniture and say, I love this, I want to take this home, and we'll, we'll buy it and we'll take it home. And she says, I'm going to paint it, I'm going to uh, distress it, I'm going to restore it. And, I, and, and she'll use chalk paint and this waxy stuff that she puts on it and sandpaper and sometimes throw some fabric on it. And it will make something really, really beautiful that we can put in our house and that we can use and display. And it's, and it's beautiful. Um, we actually have a couple of pieces in our house, in our garage, that she's waiting to get her hands on right now. Uh, we just kind of go from project to project. But um, being a guy... And some, maybe some of you guys will identify with me here. Um, I, I see what she does. I see these visions and plans that she has. And sometimes in the beginning of them, I'm thinking in my head, why do you want to mess with that? Like that thing is like, what are you going to do with that? Like how are you going to put that together? And maybe like, I don't know how that's going to turn out. How, why do you want to put that much trouble into something? Can't we just go buy something new? Like, that's already fixed the way we like it. Let's just buy it and bring it in and put it in the house, and then we're done with it. And you don't have to work on it. You don't have to put all this effort into it. Um, even if it's less expensive, like sometimes money's the issue. It's like, I can get this and restore it, and it's, it's less expensive than if we buy something new. And then sometimes, sometimes from my perspective, I'm like, but the time and the work it takes, let's, it's worth the money. Let's just, let's just buy it and not worry about it. But then she does her project, and then once it's finished, and I see it, I go, wow. Like, how did you say it? Like, I could not see that when you started. I couldn't see whatever you saw, but you saw something that I couldn't, and now I see what you saw, and that is awesome. It's beautiful. Um, And the thing about Kim is that she never makes anything her project like that unless she has a practical use in mind for it. Like if she she sees something like that and wants to do it, she's got something in mind that she's going to use it for. It's going to serve a purpose. Verse 4, David says that the Lord restores his soul. That Hebrew word for restore actually means to return or to turn back. Now, if we think about it, we can't return or 
to a place that we've not already been before, right? So for David to use that word restore, it, it, it implies that the Lord is able to, to take him back or return him to something that used to be, to return something or someone back to a place that they used to be. Uh, when we repair or refresh, refresh anything, we're working to return it back to a state that it used to be in, right? Well, that's what David's talking about here, that Jesus provides restoration not for, not for furniture or stuff, but he restores our souls. Everything around us requires maintenance, doesn't it? I mean, think about all the things in our life and how they require that we maintain them. If we don't give constant, consistent care to the things that we have, material things, what happens to them? They break down. They get weaker. And they start to fall apart. If you, any of us that have, what's the key to having a vehicle that's reliable? Maintenance, right? That's the key. I mean, what folks tell you all the time when you buy a new car, if you maintain it, if you change the oil, if you maintain all the belts and the filters and all of those things the way you're supposed to and stay on schedule, you'll have a car that will be reliable and run for a really long time. Kim's grandmother has a car that is older than any car that I have, and it looks five, ten years newer than mine. <laughs> you know why? Because she maintains it. She takes care of it. She, she's constantly giving care to it. So you can take a, a brand new vehicle, two brand new vehicles, and one that's not maintained at all, and in the matter of even a year or two years, it looks 15 years old. Or you can take a, a, a vehicle, same new vehicle, maintain it properly, and 15 years later it looks just as good as it did to begin with. The key to that is constant, consistent maintenance. There's a very sheep-like thing that we do. Because <laughs> we talked about, David calls us sheep, the Bible calls us over 200 times sheep. A very sheep-like thing that we do is that we spend time and money and effort making sure that our cars are maintained, that our houses are maintained, that our electronic toys are maintained, that our clothes are maintained and cared for, but we never consider maintaining our soul. We don't do soul maintenance as well as we do car maintenance or home maintenance. Because let's just be honest, life is difficult. Life is hard. And there is so much that we go through. And the more we go through, the more life will wear us down until we find ourselves with stuff around us that may be immaculate. Our cars and our homes, all of those things may be immaculately cared for. But our soul becomes dilapidated. Our soul falls apart because we're putting all of our maintenance into exterior things and we're not caring for 
our souls. We run and run and run and spend and spend and spend our life and our time and our energy until eventually we break down and we start to fall apart just like a car because we're not maintaining our soul. Psalm 42.11 says, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Remember, we said to worship and praise him, not just when things are great, but when things are not great. That's part of of how we maintain our souls. First Peter 5, 8 through 10. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for everyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. In verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, what? Restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. After suffering, he restores us. Life can be It's hard on all of us. It wears us all down, but sometimes it can completely break us. And sometimes it's because of our choices. Let's just be honest. Sometimes life breaks us because we have made dumb, sheep-like, bad decisions. But then sometimes life is hard and it's not because of us. Maybe it's because of somebody else's. Choices. Maybe it's just because of the effect of sin in the world, because the world is broken. And that brokenness comes into our life, maybe when we even don't deserve it. Because life can break us, that is why it's so close that we, it's so important that as sheep we stay as close as possible to the shepherd. When you think about David who wrote this psalm, he never lived a life that was free of struggle. And David didn't always maintain his soul well either because he made bad choices. And then sometimes life simply dealt him difficult circumstances as it does us. But here we see a picture of the good shepherd restoring his sheep. We're learning from this illustration of of real sheep and real shepherds One thing that a good shepherd always does every single day is he counts his sheep. Don't you count your kids and make sure that everybody's in your house before you go to bed at night? (laughs) Make Make sure you've got everybody. A good shepherd does that. He counts all of his sheep every day. And as he's counting his sheep, uh, Philip Keller says that sometimes as a shepherd is going over his flock counting sheep, he will find a sheep that is cast, C-A-S-T. And this is a term that shepherds will use for a sheep that has turned over, fallen down, turned over on its back, its legs are sticking up in the air, 
and it can't flip back over and get back on its feet on its own. And that's called a cast sheep. And Keller says that as a shepherd, that is a sad sight. It's a pitiful sight because you have this sheep who's on its back. Its legs are up in the air. Its legs are flailing around. It's struggling, but it has no success whatsoever. There is, once a sheep is on its back like that, there is no way it's going to be able to flip back over and get on its feet by itself. So it's, so it's struggling, it's, its legs are flailing around, it, it's fearful, it's frustrated. So the only one that can put it back up on its feet is the shepherd. The, so the shepherd goes, finds that sheep as he's accounting for them. When he finds one that is cast, he goes, picks it up, turns it, puts it back on its feet again. So because sheep can become cast, it's important for the shepherd to keep a constant eye on every single one of his sheep. Because when one becomes cast, he has to find it, pick it up, put it back on his feet. If, if he doesn't, if, if it's a neglectful shepherd, and he's not constantly watching each one of his sheep, and one becomes cast and the shepherd doesn't recognize it, a, one of, a couple of things will happen. One, it will either die because it's on its back. It can't flip over on its own. Things in its body begin to shift around that um, causes it to, to be difficult for it to breathe and for it to, uh, to maintain. It can't eat. It can't drink. And so if it stays turned over on its back long enough, it will die. Either that or a predator will find it helpless on its back before the shepherd does, and it will become the victim of another predator. Now, you may be wondering this, if you were like me, how in the world does a sheep end up on the ground on its back with its legs straight up in the air? Philip Keller says that oftentimes this happens to the We'll just say it, the big fat sheep. They are more susceptible to this happening to them. The heavy sheep, the fat ones, the ones who have long fleeces. And you know when they usually get flipped over on their back like that? While they're lying down. When they're lying down, sometimes they get really comfortable and they start to stretch and they start to stretch out their legs and stretch out their arms. And then all of a sudden, without them knowing it, their center of gravity shifts. As they're stretching out in that pasture. And their body, their legs begin to lift up off the ground. And by then, it's over. <laughs> they can't, their center of gravity is already pulling them over on their back. And they can't do anything to control themselves. So they end up helpless like that. Here's a point for us to remember. Sometimes we fall because of bad circumstances. And sometimes we fall because of our comfort. But Jesus will pick us up from both. It's not just bad circumstances that cause us to fall on our back. With legs up in the air helpless. Sometimes it's our comfort. Sometimes it's because we're not diligent, we're not careful, and we get so comfortable 
that we end up falling. But the promise in this psalm, when David says, he restores my soul, it literally means he he picks me up. When I'm over on my back and I can't help myself, and I'm wasting away, he will pick me up and turn me over and put me back on my feet. And so now in the same verse, in verse 3, David not just says that God restores his soul, but now he's going to tell us why the good shepherd restores our soul. Like, why, why does God do that? Why does the shepherd want to pick us up and turn us back over on our feet? It's not only because he loves and cares for us, but it's also to make us useful again. Because when we are on our back, flailing around, and we are falling, we're no good to anybody. And so he picks us up and he turns us over, not just to care for us, but to make us useful for a purpose. Look at verse 3 again. David says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I like to take this verse. These are two actions of the shepherd that he's describing here. He restores and he leads. And put those two together, the way David has put them together in this psalm. As Jesus is keeping a constant eye on me, when I fall and I get backside down... His hand of strength comes, picks me back up, puts me on my feet. Why? Because there are paths of righteousness for me to be led down. And I can't travel those paths of righteousness when I'm laying belly up. And so he says, I'm going to pick you up because we've got places to go. We've got things to do. There are paths of righteousness I have to lead you down. And so you've got to get up. So I'm going to pick you up, put you on your feet so that we can move. We've already seen that if we stay close and follow Jesus, that he leads us to provision for our own lives. The green pastures, the still waters, that's what those verses are about. But here he continues to lead us where? In not, not, not to green pastures and still waters, but he leads us down paths of righteousness for who? For him. Not not for us. Not for me. For his name's sake. Now, look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talked about roads and talked about paths as we follow. In Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says... Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Sheep have to constantly be moving from pasture 
to pasture. If a shepherd takes a flock to a pasture and leaves it there too long, and, and a flock is stationary for too long amount of time, they will overgraze the land. And they will kill the land's ability to regrow. And if the sheep stay there long enough, they will kill the grass, overgraze it, then there's no, nothing for them to eat, and when there's nothing for sheep to eat, they die. Here's another characteristic of sheep that I think is very similar to us. Did you know that sheep are extreme creatures of habit? Right? Uh, we are creatures of habit. Um, if they are left to themselves, they will travel the same paths and they will graze the same fields over and over and over and over. Shepherds say that, that an, an unled sheep will we'll travel the same path so much that it literally will dig a rut in the ground because it will go over the same path over and over, up and down, back and forth. It will graze the same grass over and over and over until everything is barren and empty. So when David says he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, he's saying that, that Jesus will lead us out of the fields that we habitually stay in for our own habit, our own comfort, because we do that too, right? When you say we got into a rut, that means we're, we're just walking the same path. We're doing the same thing over and over and over. We're grazing in the same field over and over. And Jesus says, I want to move you from where you, this place you keep grazing. If you stay here, you're going to die. So there are paths of righteousness that I have to lead you down because you won't go down them on your own. So follow me, stay close to me. And what did Jesus say about these paths of righteousness? What did he say in Matthew 7? That those paths are narrow and they're difficult. Didn't say anything about easy. So now it seems like the picture's changing. We go from these pictures of, of green pastures and still waters. Now all of a sudden Jesus is saying, now it's time for me to lead you on paths of righteousness. And they're narrow and they're difficult. Jesus doesn't lead his sheep on the broad roads. Because you know what the broad roads are. The broad road is for all the sheep that don't have a shepherd. Those are the paths for everybody who has no one to lead them. That's why there are so many people on it. But Jesus says, I lead you down paths of righteousness for my name's sake. David said, he leads me down those paths for his name's sake. As good as God is to us and as gracious as his love is for us, we must also understand that we are not the end for all God is doing in us. You realize that. And sometimes we can get all caught up in how great God is to us that we begin to think that we're the end. That, that he is so good to me because of me. No, he's not. That's not why he's good. That's not why he's leading you down paths of righteousness. And, and that's, not, that's not the purpose. 
David says, he leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's, it's, he's the end, not you. It's all for him. It's for his glory. He leads us down the paths of righteousness not for our name, not to make us famous, but it's for his name, it's for his renown. Everything that we experience in that is for his glory. And that's where so many people and so many Christian leaders get off the path because they, they latch on to fame. There are so many celebrity leaders in the church and in the world. And you've seen recently how so many of those people that we as the church have elevated into these high positions of celebrity in the world. And they fall. Why? Because they buy into the idea. You, you listen to somebody tell you how great you are long enough, you'll believe it. <laughs> you will believe it. And I don't want to be that way. That's why sometimes if you compliment me and I act all weird and awkward about it, <laughs> that's why. Because I just don't, I don't want to be one of those guys. I don't want any of us to ever be that kind of Christian that, that just thinks that, we, that, that God is blessing us and pouring blessings out on us so that we can be famous. No. It's so he can be famous. It's for his glory, everything. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of what? His name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Christ Jesus. So in these verses, Paul says that we have received grace for what purpose? Look at the next words. We've received grace to bring about obedience, right? So God pours grace into our lives. The reason he gives us grace is so it will result in our obedience. And the obedience is supposed to be for whose name? For his, right. Now, this is the way you can spot false teaching. This is one of the ways that we in the church can spot false teachers. Do not be fooled when you hear someone say that God is pouring out great things into your life and it's all for you. It's all about you. It's all about to make you happy. It's all about to give you everything that you want. Beware when you hear that kind of stuff. We receive benefits and blessings as we follow Jesus. Absolutely we do. And we don't want to diminish that at all. But, but Jesus' goal and all that he does in us and for us and through us is for the fame and glory of the Father and the fame and glory of the Son and the fame and glory of the Spirit. Not for us. If he's blessing you, he's blessing you for him. He's doing it for his glory, not for yours. Here's the last thing I want you to remember. He restores us so that we can follow his paths. 
He picks us up. He restores us. Why? Because there are paths of righteousness that we are to be led down. And we follow his paths because they lead to glory, not for us, but for him.